sunny day in August. It's the opening day of the football season and it's the first proper from the print of this season. Uh, Watford are back by Bolton at Vickers Road. I'm joined by Jason after his extra pre-season break. You right, Jason? I'm good, thanks. Ready? Ready to come back, yes. Rowing to go. Okay, and uh, David Cam Walker, who was with Mike and I at the Bournewood in the last podcast. David, are you ready for the first game of the season? I am. And yes. this is, uh, it's better, isn't it, when the first game of the season is a home game and you sort of get to go. It's not like delaying the start of the season. Yeah, it is. It's the first game of the season. You can be there. You can see the first ball kick, the first goal scored, and hopefully the first win. It's, the, it's actually the first time I've been able to get to the first game of the season in about in about five years or so. Because I normally work on Saturdays, but um, I, I was working it out today that the last two first games of the season I've been to actually have been away games, which was the away of Wolves we won in 2007, and the year after nil-nil draw at, at Crystal Palace in Boothroyd's last uh, last day of the season. So supposedly the sequence follows. <laughs> lost today, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but we're going to be positive, because actually, at the end of the last podcast, David, when you, Mike and I were stood outside Bournemouth Football Club, after one loss to, to Coventry City, you were, and I, were both cautiously optimistic, which was the name of our podcast about a year ago. Are you still cautiously optimistic? I am, if, if I think about it rationally and, and look at it in the cold light of day, but as we stand here in the sunshine, just mere yards away from Vicarage Road, I've got my shirt on, I can see the floodlights in the distance, that, that all goes out the window today, I'm up for it, I'm optimistic, we're going to win, we're going to win the league, it's all going to be fine. That's exactly what's going to happen, isn't it, Jase? I don't know. I don't oh, look at the, the intake of breath. This, 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 is, this is our fifth season doing from the recurring. We had a season under Malky. We had a season under Sean Dykes, who's now in the Premier League. Good luck, Sean. Um, we had a season under Gianfranco Zola. We had a season we thought was going to be under Gianfranco Zola, but was also under Beppe Sonino. And now we are here under Beppe Sonino again with a bunch of players coming in. How optimistic are you? Um, I don't know. You compare it to, to those uh, previous seasons. Obviously, under Malky and Dyche, it was very much. Uh, let's hope, we yeah, let's hope we can avoid relegation. Um, the, uh, sort of the first Potsday season under Zola, uh, whilst trying to maintain a calm exterior, I was quite excited on the inside. All these new, fanciful foreign players. It was, oh yeah, anything could happen, and it almost did. Um, last season we were going to win the league. There was absolutely no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, and this season, I don't know. We've got, like you said, all these players coming in. I don't know who the best 11 is, I don't know what the best formation is to use, I, I'm, I, that in itself is quite exciting, we could see something quite different and novel, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited by that, that the question is who, who's playing and uh, what formation will be answered probably in the next 15 minutes or so, but for the time being, yes, I'm, I'm excited. Okay, well let's keep the excitement going, uh, let's crack on with the podcast, uh, we in 100 objects this month, we're going to put in a pie, a fuse and a duck. Uh, plus we'll have a chat about what we think the division's going to be like this season. Uh, plus we'll have our first look at Watford in a competitive match. And uh, we'll start by talking about some returns. From the rookery end, by Watford fans, for Watford fans. The second time around can be tricky. When bands reunite, there are varying outcomes. There can be a take that world tour, or there can be a five comeback in a little theatre in the north. Uh, movie sequels often are brilliant, like Empire Strikes Back, or they can be The Matrix Reloaded. 
Many players have returned to Vicarage Road over the years, not necessarily with a twist and a magicness of Bobby Ewing turning up in a shower at the end of an episode of Dallas. There was Bruce Dye, Tommy Smith, Heidi Helgerson, who's a blessed, of course, came back from his. He came back three times? He came back twice, I think. Twice. Twice, twice as a player. Yeah. Uh, and Graham Taylor, of course. Can you think of any other boys I've missed? I was thinking, I don't know if it quite qualifies, because I don't know the distance between the two spells, but I, I do, as soon as you said it, I, I was reminded of Wayne Brown, because there was such a clamour for him to come back <laughs> after he had that loan spell under, under Viali, was it? And then he came back, and he wasn't really that good, was he? Well, that's the worry, isn't it? That you come back, and, and you're not quite as good as before. The three, two slash three that we've got coming back, one is Craig Cathcart, who was with us five years ago, just played 12 games, but since then he had five years of growing up and playing at Blackpool. Um, there's a certain Matic Vidra, who was last time he played for us, well he was the championship player of the season and scored basically, statistically, one goal every two games. And also Diego Fabrini. Should we get, Dave, let's, let's get Cathcart out of the way. He's definitely not going to be the same player he was last time. No, uh, and he's injured today, isn't he, as well, so mm. we won't be seeing him this afternoon. But um, I, I think when he joined us before, I mean, he played what he was only there for about a month or so, wasn't he? He didn't play that many games. I don't remember him being that spectacular. Um, but, you know, he was a young player on loan from Manchester United, I think, at the time. And he's since, he's since gone out and, you know, he's had a season or two at Blackpool. He's probably had a chance to mature a little bit. He certainly would have, you know, had a real taste of battling action last last year at, at Blackpool um, so hopefully he's a, he's a better player and you know he'll be able to fit into the system we've got here but we, he's got he's going to have to be you know good to get in the team because we've got a lot of centre backs yeah. I, think, I think Blackpool were sorry to see him go along with the other 300 players they lost <laughs> over the summer but no I know he had, um, apparently he had, uh, Blackpool fans really did rate him and they were um, yeah he was a, a well-respected defender up there. I think he filled filled a gap for us, didn't he, when he was here five years yeah. ago. Did did what he had to do. Didn't pull up many trees, but wasn't disastrous. So. Yeah. The, uh, the 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 moment I think of the pre-season was the uh, the, the video footage that was sort of put out of there of one Vidra returning to the Italian camp and basically getting a hug from all the players that was back, and it felt like all Watford fans wanted to give him a hug that he was back. Jason, is he going to be? The answer? <laughs> is he the answer? I think the answer to that question is you need more than one man to be the answer if you want to get anywhere in, in this division. I think for him to do as well as he did last time, he'd have to do very, very well. Uh, I, I, that, that was such an achievement, what he did last time. Um, I don't think he will reach those heights again, but if the team's performing well and for him to perform well, he doesn't have to reach those standards. If he, if he scores... Uh, between 15 and 20 goals if, if Deeney's still here and scores a lot of goals again and that's fine that's, that's a, a big chunk of goals already and you're, and you're already on your way to the top end of the, uh, of the division I, I wouldn't give him a hug actually. I, don't want to give, I, I don't want to give him a hug I, I'd give him a firm handshake and look him, look him in the eye and try and work out whether he's up for it because I, I'm still you know I haven't forgotten the, the end of the season in, in that season where we got to the playoff final he was brilliant in the middle but there was a couple of months where he didn't score towards the end of the season apart from that semi-final where he, he pulled it out of the bag 
and I, I've, you know, I've, I've heard various reports from, from reasonably well-placed sources that his attitude completely dropped off in that last few months. He knew he'd gotten done enough to get a big move in the, in the next summer, and I think he thought he'd done enough. And, he, and he, his training, his intensity in training, I don't think was was as good as it as it could have been. And I think you saw that on the pitch. You know, and people will say, "Oh, people, other teams knew what he was capable of." Then he probably got marks more than he was before. But I think something was missing, and I think his attitude, you know, was open to question. I want him back now. I want him focused and completely up for the challenge that lies ahead. If he does what he, we know he can do, I'll hug him at the end of the season. <laughs> okay, well, we'll delay the hug. Um, but we, we checked the Frank Smith um, on the last podcast, the Watford Reserve. He's seen a lot of the pre-season games. They're playing him in this 4-3-3 three, uh, three, three formation, and he's played left in the middle, and he wasn't sure. What, how do you get the most out of Vidra? Um, well, I think having uh, Alman Abdi on the pitch is, is a way to start having you know, getting the most out of Vidya because a lot of the goals that he scored before were from you know Abdi would get the ball in the middle and just thread that nice little pass through the defence for Vidya to run on into the space in behind, which is what we, we lacked both a player of Vidya's ability to do that last season and then Abdi's ability to thread that pass through. So we've got both of those things back on the pitch. Uh, I, I do have my doubts as to whether he will be an effective if he plays you know, in a 4-3-3 I, I think he may work better in a 2 but I think more important is the players behind him if they can get him the ball in the right way then you'll get the best out of Vidra Now the other man who's come back and he went off on loan for a couple of months is Diego Fabrini, Jason you saw him last week at the Udinese game and he he came on and made a, a, an impact a good impact sub um, Happy to attack defenders, had a go at them, set up our, our second equalising goal, good little uh, move in the box, cross to the, uh, not to say the back post, but, but Padil was uh, some way out, but he found he found Padil in space, who uh, nodded it home. Um, and he looked good, but then he looked good this, in, time, last this year, yeah. time last year against Granada in a pre-season friendly, and, and look what happened. So, um, yeah, we, we probably still need to be convinced that he can do it at championship level um, so there was a lot of talk last year about him going down too easily that he wasn't strong enough oh, well, you say he wasn't strong enough in that pre-season game at, against Coventry at Bournemouth there was a point where he lost the ball and he ran after, ran after a player who tackled him and he just shoved him over I think he's learnt, it takes a bit of strength to win this championship Good, well hopefully yes hopefully then he's learned his lesson and, uh, and we'll see more of that in the coming season a monthly take on life as a Watford fan from the rookery end the, the big debate apart from you know, all this stuff about who's going to play and let alone how are they going to play. Is it a 4-3-3, a 3-5-2, a 1-8-1, which I reckon we could do, Jason. If you really think about a number of midfields we've got, we could have a 1-8-1. Oh, why never not get... one nine zero? Why, why bother with attackers? You know, um, <laughs> I know they to play the Spanish way. What's the benefit of, of 4-3-3? For me, I want to see us playing four at the back. I think um, we're starting to struggle with three at the back. I think teams have worked out how they play against us because we play three at the back um, and it, I think it was exposed again in the friendly against Udinese last week particularly in the first half um, as teams become more defensive sometimes they go too narrow um, and that often happens in the three because in the three if you leave too big a gap you let the strikers in if you then go too narrow you're then sort of exposed on the flanks and we saw that last week where the three defenders were literally standing next to each other on the edge of the box and there were Udinese players queuing up at either sort of corner of the 18-yard box ready to, to fire a shot in. Um, I think four gives you better coverage across the back um, and that's I, I, I think I like that, that idea. I struggle to understand, I obviously haven't seen any of the games where we've played 4-3-3, but I struggle to understand why Vidra wouldn't work in a 4-3-3. Your, your modern three up front, your wide players tend to play 
as inside forwards that you call them like they, they tuck inside um, so your big man in the middle let's call him Troy Deeney <laughs> drops short picks the ball up where it's in the air flick it on we know he's got the strength to control his feet turn go at which point Vidra should be pushing on the shoulder of the defenders as he does so well in that gap between full back and centre back um, that's how I see it in my head in terms of a 4-3-3 obviously it hasn't panned out like that I guess from what people are saying about the uh, 4-3-3 premise but in that particular formation, that's how I'd see that working. Okay, so you would go four three three. I I think I would. Yeah. So we uh, we saw a bunch of the players who we signed. There was uh, Vidjabat Kafkar, there was Lloyd Dyer, there was uh, Gomez in goal, uh, Gabriel Tamas, Juan Carlos Paredes, Udino. Igalo. 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 I'm going to go with that. Uh, and uh, Gianni Munari. Yep. We lost. Several, uh, you know, sort of what you call key players: Amunia, Cassetti, Ross Jenkins, uh, and Nairo Nosworthy. N- Nairo Nosworthy. Peroni. Peroni as well, of course. Yeah. Are we up from as a, as a squad? Do you feel? Well, I think you you certainly at the start of the summer you did see a, a real shift in in terms of the policy of bringing in players. All the players that they brought in, you mentioned Tamas, Cathcart. Lloyd Dyer, Keith Andrews, Gomez, they'd all played in England before. They've got a knowledge of not just the Premier League, of the, of the Championship, of what it takes to be successful in these leagues, you know, which, which you could and, and have done, you, you know, lab, labelled uh, players like uh, Fabrini and the others last season probably didn't have that. You know, it, took them, it took them a while to get their heads around the division. So it was a good thing to see that the club were trying to learn their lessons. But then you had this sort of late influx as well with Igalu and Minari. And I think they are, I, I did start to wonder, is it going too far? Now there's reports that we want. To, he still want another midfielder. I saw Frank Smith in the, in the, yeah. the other day saying they want another midfielder. We, you know, one eight. Yeah, we, we, we do have too many midfielders. I mean, maybe one would go out to to, cover, to 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 allow for that. But you know, it's a lot of players that come in again. It's ne- we're nearly in double figures again for recruitment over the summer. And I think as long as that continues every year, it's always going to be a bit of a challenge. And I think you know. Uh, Consistency and and patience and, and having stability is a real important quality. Everyone looks at ins and outs every summer in the, in the football league and say, well, who they got in? It's more, sometimes more important to look at the outs. They will haven't lost many players. It's good to it's good to keep a solid squad over a number of seasons. You know, Leighton Orient last year to, to drop down to League One. They hardly signed anyone last summer. They had pretty much an identical squad from the season before. You look at the great season they had. I think it's, it's sometimes you can you can kind of undo yourself if you try and do too much every summer. So that's something they need to think about. I think the same as well applies to Leicester last season where they didn't make too many signings over the summer. They they we know they've got a lot of money um, and I think they spent good money on a couple of good players rather than splashing it on a load of players um, and look what happened won the league quite convincingly mm. we haven't seen them play we're not going to make judgments on the, the best ones the worst ones the ones are going to be success because we're not that sort of fortune tellers uh, but we're going to go and see them at uh, Vicarage Road very shortly from the rookery end subscribe via iTunes listen on audio boom and find us at fromtherookeryend.com here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford and 100 objects! We start this season with 51 objects in our list of 100 objects that define Watford Football Club. Uh, they can be objects that define a moment on the pitch or define your relationship with the beautiful club that is Watford Football Club. Uh, the full list is on our website from therookerend.com. Now, three objects this month. The first one sums up one of the least popular managers in the club's history, Gianluca Vialli. Were you a... Uh, Viareite, David? 
well, what, I, what I would say about Viali is I, I can't remember any other time um, being a Watford fan that I was as excited as when he was appointed. I was, I was still in school as a teenager in school, and I can't remember another time. You know, I was just I was just a Watford fan, and nobody, you know, all the other kids were Man United fans, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea. No one ever talks about Watford. I don't know why do you support Watford? And all of a sudden, we had Viali come to the club, and the playground was awash with talk. <laughs> oh, have you seen Watford? They've got Viali. Oh, they're going to be brilliant. And I was really swept away with it. I was really excited from going to some of the first games, and then you know how quickly we saw that it wasn't all that we thought it was going to be. But you know, it's certainly have fond memories of that time of just thinking, wow, look at we've done something that we don't normally do. And, and from that respect, you know, it's always a point of sadness to me that it didn't work out. He wasn't the. He isn't the only Italian that have, you know, managed our football club. How do you compare him to the the current Italian flair that we have? Um, I, yeah, if you if you look at Sanino, obviously they've got the same haircut. Sanino uh, <laughs> is very much a wild Roma, wanders outside his box all the time. Viali was very different. Viali was very calm and laid back, um, very well tailored, of course. <laughs> they, they both have that in common, but and that was uh, with Viali the. Uh, was it a lack of passion it did come across a bit like that sometimes um, and I remember talking to a mate about it on the day he, he left it was we both sort of shrugged our shoulders and went oh, there we go no that didn't look, really look like he cared almost it was there was a definite sort of uh, talk about being excited at the start I like Dave was excited when he joined but there seemed to be no excitement um, coming from the touchline now the object we're putting in to sum up Gianluca Viali's time at Watford is the meat pie Watford will be taking Rotherham for the first time in 10 years and uh, the said meat pie was thrown by a Rotherham fan at Viali during an away game at Millmore on the 12th of January 2002. So where did the pie land? Um, David Range, a uh, Watford fan who emailed in, said it was a direct hit on Gianluca. Absolutely hilarious and I wouldn't mind betting that most of the Hornets fans there would have liked to have done the same themselves. Uh, the game finished 1-1 that day, but everyone who saw the pie hit Viali was a winner. <laughs> Our second object surrounds a, an abandoned game. Now, have you ever had a Watford game where you just want it to end? There were many last year, one particularly against Yeovil, where I wished it ended quite quickly. Jase, any games you uh, wished ended quickly? Yeah, there was, uh, there was definitely one where uh, I was hoping for floodlight failure at... Um, We've seen many disappointing Watford performances, and if you're going to play badly, you deserve to lose. But when you get games where you feel you've been hard done by, they're, they're the ones, and it's this particular game. Uh, we were playing Blackburn uh, back in 2001, I think it was, and the final score was Watford nil, Rob Styles won. <laughs> <laughs> remember that game? No, you see, that was suggested by Chris Howe. Oh, was it? Uh, he well said done, that uh, two men were sent off in the first half, yeah. and they scored a lucky goal that in the 77th minute, was, yeah. uh, and they were harshly done on many counts. I, the, the, the first one was one. The, the first sending off, the, um, I think it was, uh, we, were, we were controlling the game, but we weren't dominating, but I think we were controlling the game well, and they've, they've cleared it, one over the top. Their striker's gone to run for it, and I think... Page was there and it's been a coming together no fair, coming together and he's thrown himself to the floor now Robinson is the last man he he was there ready to make a challenge if the guy had gone past Page Styles remember rightly Styles did not give the free kick the linesman has flagged right Styles then hasn't gone to liaise with the linesman he just pulled out his red card off and I don't just the whole process of how that happened I just couldn't get it in my head 
like if, if the linesman's given the, uh, the free kick, surely you need to go and speak to your linesman. It was clear that Page wasn't the last man, and it didn't even look like a foul anyway. To top it all off, he then booked Helgerson for his protests, uh, and in five minutes later, Helgerson, and it, well, it looked like a bad challenge, he also looked like he slipped over because it was a horrible night, if I remember rightly. Helgerson slipped over, taking out the player, second yellow card, and off he goes. A lucky goal, end of there. Dave, any game, games you wanted to end? Um, an honourable mention for a nil-nil draw away at Millwall <laughs> on a Tuesday night, my, and my feet have never, ever been as cold as that to this day since. But the, the one that I'm going to give it for, again, is a Tuesday night. Uh, in September of 2003 in the first round uh, or second round maybe of the, of the Carling Cup as it was at the time away to Bristol City I got the coach the supporters <laughs> coach after school away to, to Bristol City and we lost 1-0 after extra time it was 0-0 in 90 minutes and it was under Ray Lewington and, and it was absolutely terrible I remember Gary Fiskin was playing centre midfield and he got hauled off at half time I remember Bruce Dyer had a, a, he was struggling when he came back to the club and he had a, a shot from about 30 yards that nearly went out for a throwing and everyone was just like why are we here why are we here and on to make to add insult to injury I had a sausage roll from, from <laughs> Ashton Gate which gave me terrible terrible food poisoning on the way home on that coach it was a miserable evening well we had a couple of other sessions there on our, our Twitter and uh, Twitter feed uh, at what the podcast or Facebook uh, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, Michael Jeremy said there, Watford won, Crystal Palace 5 on January 2004. That's fun to mind. Riots. <laughs> uh, Danny Seabrook, uh, he said, uh, Luton, when we had Perry Digwee in goal, he still had the scars. Uh, and Robert Bliss, which is sort of, Robert, maybe this is why you don't remember the details. He said, uh, forgive me for the haziness. There was a game between Christmas and New Year's in either 97, 98 or 99 where we played some team from the West Country. It rained all game, it was a dreadful draw, and neither team played well. So you couldn't even take solace in the opposition playing well. I just wanted to go home. The object we're putting in is also assisted by our previous man, David Range. This enters in a Tuesday night in April 1959, when such a dastardly game was going on. On a Tuesday night in April 1959, Watford were in a dire position towards the end of the season and played a must-win game at Vicarage Road against Shrewsbury. Into the second half, the Hornets were 5-2 down, and when the referee signalled for the floodlights to be switched on, nothing happened. With the light rapidly fading, as were our chances of staying up, the ref had no alternative but to abandon the game. It transpired that someone had borrowed the fuses. An inside conspiracy? Who knows? It didn't matter though. Watford lost the rearranged game 4-1 and were duly relegated. I was there and remember some of the fans lighting fires on the terraces. Object 53 is a lost floodlight fuse. Our 54th object was nominated by Kenneth Jackson. Uh, to him, it sums up a waitress. To Woking. And it was a very long time ago in the swinging 60s. Consider the year 1966. Now, most football fans will immediately associate that with England winning the World Cup. Uh, but not me. That was the year I started as a regular away match fan, and was the year I visited Workington twice in the space of seven months. Firstly, a nil-one reverse, and then a two-one victory. Both were memorable trips, even more so because it's now doubtful that a Watford fan will ever travel there twice in a year again. 
The first match was memorable for our attempts to get into the match for free by wading through the derwent mud at low tide, thwarted unfortunately by an eagle-eyed local plod. My friend had just found a rather large dead fish when we were accosted by the plod, and he attempted to hide it behind his back, not realising that its tail fins are sticking up above his head. His innocent aggrieved plea of, Fish! What fish, officer? Had the rest of us in stitches, even the plod. So, is that object a dead fish? Ken continues. Now, fast forward to November of that year, around 12 of us made the long trip north, a far cry from today's horde of travelling hornets, and arrived there quite early. With nothing to do but wait for opening time, we strolled around the town centre and found a uh, Woolworth to uh, nose around in. Spying some rather larger than life-sized yellow plastic ducks, we acquired one before moving on to a local hostelry to prepare for the match. The duck, one of the squeaking when squeezed variety, was decked out in a Watford scarf and was prominent in both our goal celebration and victory cries at the end. As the players trooped off, we presented the duck to Alec Farrell, who, to be honest, looked a little bit miffed on the receiving end of such a strange offering. And where is the magical duck now? I have no idea what happened to the duck after that, but every time I hear of Workington, I'm straight back to that happy afternoon, thinking of both the victory and the duck. The fish attendance that day in 1966 was 1,947. Thank you, Watford Archive. But we actually know there was 1,948, because we shall include our final object, the Workington Toy Duck. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Tweet us at Watford Podcast. Like us on Facebook. And visit us on fromtherookeryend.com. We're heading towards Rookery Road now. Um, David, you uh, produced and put a podcast called uh, We're Going Up. Uh, covers all the 72 clubs in the Football League. Uh, you know a bit more about League One than I do doesn't take much. There's three teams coming up, Brentford, Rotherham, Wolves. Uh, how do you reckon they're going to fare? I think they could all have very good seasons. Uh, I think perhaps more so Wolves and, and Brentford than, than Rotherham, but just to look at all three, I mean, if you look at Brentford, I think they're a very impressive club. They've got Mark Warburton as their manager, who used to be, started off his coaching career at Watford, actually, after oh, yeah. he had a spell out of the game in, in the city, working as a trader in the city. Now he finds himself in charge of a championship football club, and He's a very impressive guy. We spoke to him on our podcast last year, and they've, they've recruited really well in the summer. They've spent a million pounds on uh, Moses Adebayo from um, Leighton Orient. They had a fantastic season for Orient last season. Scored a great goal in the playoff final. Very quick, skillful winger. Uh, they've signed Scott Hogan from Rochdale. Scored about 20-odd goals for Rochdale. They got promoted from League Two last season. Uh, they signed Alex Pritchard, who was nominated for uh, League One player of the season last year, playing for Swindon. Uh, and they signed a guy called Andre Gray, who played for some club up the M1, who just come back into the Football League for about half a million quid as well. So he scored bags of goals for Luton last season as they got promoted. So, so they've so weakened Luton? They have. I like them already. Certainly. Yeah, they've, so they, they've got a good couple of players there already, and they've added to it really, really well. So I think they could surprise people and finish top half. Wolves, I think they're going to be really strong. They haven't necessarily brought in many players this summer, but like I was saying earlier on, what they've done is they've kept a squad together that absolutely romped home to the League One title last season. Records points total for the League One champions last year. You look at a player like Sacco, who's a very exciting attacker, got a great shot. He scored against us in that one-all draw 
and Molyneux last time under Zola where we would score, uh, conceded a goal in the last minute uh, you look at their centre-halves of Danny Barr and Richard Stearman really formidable defensive partnership and of course Kenny oh, wait, uh, are you as revved up as that I am. motorbike in the background he's ready to go uh, of course they've got Kenny Jackett of who we all know he's a fantastic yeah. manager as good as you'll find outside the Premier League the team's coming down uh, Norwich Fulham and Cardiff uh, how do you reckon they're going to fare this season? Uh, well, when I made my predictions, I had Fulham in the top six. Uh, they have lost some, some key players. The likes of Hungerland have gone. Uh, however, I think they've got a, uh, a good crop of youngsters at that side. Uh, in particular, Corley Woodrow, uh, who played a few games for them in the Premier League last season. Uh, also, he's seen beats me on match of the day. Five thinking. Oh, they're not motorbikes. No, they're they cars. Are. I thought they were motorbikes. It's a Lamborghini in Watford yeah. Yellow. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, as I was saying before, I was really interrupted. Cordy Woodrow, <laughs> seen a bit of him on, uh, on Match of the Day, but um, not a great deal, but it looks like he's definitely got... Uh, Got the techers that could that could fare well in uh, in the That's yeah, what the kids say, isn't it? Yeah, indeed, I'm down with the Utes. <laughs> um, so that's Fulham, Norwich. I can't quite make my mind up on. Uh, I keep flip flopping. They, they've not made a lot of changes, which should be good for them. But I don't think they've lost a few key players, in particular uh, Robert Snodgrass. I think is a, will be a big big miss for them. Uh, so I'm not sure. I think they'll just maybe lack that certain something to get them into the top six as for Cardiff um, they've got players they've lost they've quite a few changes I think they've lost the likes of Andrew Taylor and Don Cowie who we know well who would be who know they're, not, they're not the same team that got promotion they, they certainly aren't two years ago. Got promotion and I think their biggest downfall is, uh, is their manager I, I'm afraid I don't have the faith in Solskjaer to do well what he has got is that he's well connected so we might find that he gets some good loan signings in and that fares him well um, but I, d- I just don't see them doing anything under Solskjaer well we are within well high speed car away from Vicarage Road um, and uh, we're about to see how this season's going to start faring for Watford we'll, uh, we'll figure it out um, and well it's going to be good indeed So we are outside Vicarage Road after a lovely start to the season. Lovely. Uh, 3-0 to Watford. There were so many lovely things in that. What was, what was great about that game? Angela's pass for the first goal. <laughs> Amazing. Because before that, he had three absolute shockers. <laughs> yeah. And then pulls that one out of the bag with his left foot. It was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was fun I found myself letting out an involuntary chuckle when Boris Jair was celebrating it was amazing <laughs> it was, and that was one of my favourite things was uh, the fact that it was his, I reckon, how many touches did he take before that because it was the first time on the ball but it was his second or third touch for Fernando to yeah. come on 
and score a goal, I mean, that's the depth of that squad. Yeah. It's sort of yeah. gone through in that game. And then he nearly had another one and fell over his own feet. Yeah. 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 And Lloyd Dyer looked all right when he came on, a little cameo at the end as well, which shows you we do have strength on the bench. Yeah, yeah. And even Minari actually came on, looked decent. Of course, it's quite easy to come on when you're two or three nil up and look good, isn't it, I suppose? But, you know, all promising signs. Uh, there's four, I'm only four, four purely around one man, Gomez. One, what a throw to get that ball out you know that will break and get out there and we'll have some goals off the back of that I've never kicked it that far no exactly uh, two the way he celebrated the goals mm. amazing passion already three the fact that he saved his voice because at one point he wanted to say something to Tozia about formation and he went out of, the, out of his box had a chat with him and was constantly shouting constantly being in there and it's generally just a couple of just amazing saves he Tottenham band I'm sure won't be you know would think I'm delusional but there's a definite class there yeah well I don't know I know a few Tottenham fans actually thought very highly of him he actually people remember that he had, he had this spell where he just lost his confidence he had a bit of a yeah. crisis for a, for a month or so but it's some very good games at Spurs and what I, what I love about him already and I sort of saw signs of this in the friendly at Warren Wood when you can hear him you know talking always he's an excellent communicator and it, it, you know he, he led the players over at the end he was the first one over to, to clap the fans he obviously cares and when, when there was a little scuffle broke out in the first half Dini was involved and some of the Bolton players were crowning the referee and, we, and it nearly nearly escalated he was straight out and he, and he completely uh, diffused the situation he was you know, telling Toza calm down focus on the match you know, he, he's, you know, he's, he's not just what he does on the pitch he makes some great saves now, I've heard at, um, at Spurs which could be really helpful for us I've heard at Spurs that he was kind of like the person that when all the foreign players were coming into the club he would always look after them make sure they integrated themselves to England like knew the area got to know all the people at the club you know, and we're going to have a very similar situation here so if you can play that sort of role I think uh, you know, it would be very important for us Any other jokes? Uh, well man of the match Mr Paredes I must admit at the start I was a bit worried how he'd fit in straight into a, a starting 11 obviously he didn't play in any of the friendlies I'm sure he would have been training with, yes, with yeah, the side yeah. for, for uh, all the time he's been here but oh what a debut and, and very nearly scored <laughs> yeah, yeah, he rock, rock, um, rattled that post at the beginning of the second half, didn't he? From a standing start as well. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to be very special. Curtis is here from Denver, and Paul's still here. Favourite thing about that game? Uh, the ease in which we took them apart. <laughs> that, by far, was the best part of that game for me. It was, I woke up from a bad dream, that was the 2013-2014 season, to see Vidra on the, on the field, Dini on the field, and we just picked them apart. It was organized. It was smooth. It was it was a training match game. It was simple. It was really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it, it was worth being up all night, not sleeping, to be here just for that. It was worth every minute. Paul, favorite thing about that game? Can I have two things? Yeah. At the uh, the players that I hadn't seen so far in preseason, I thought Paredes looked great coming forward, and he had that shot that he smacked yeah, by yeah, the bar yeah, yeah. post was great. So the, the, the players were great. Then the other thing was the uh, the strength and depth that we've got, the players that we were able to bring in off the bench. I mean, that's got to scare the rest of this division to pieces. That you know, we can take off someone like Vitor and place him as far as the area. I think two touches and a goal. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you want? Is that, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to say it, Paul, but it's going to be fun, isn't it? You're never going to get rid of me. I'm going to stay here now. <laughs> Denver has lost another man. <laughs> it's a great shame. Uh, so this is the end of the first podcast, or in the season podcast, from the Recreant. We'll be back in four weeks' time. Come on, you From the Recreant, John, Mike and Jason. It's their take on life as a Watford fan.